Ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to my podcast. In today's podcast, I'm going to tell a story. Forbidden fruit. This is、uh, from Gideon Mopas's、uh, collection of short stories. I love the stories a number of times, and hopefully, you would love this story because this story has an twists and turns and ups and downs and extremely dramatic in number of ways. And that's the reason I chose this story for you. It's not a very long one. No, it's pretty、uh, medium length story. Before that, I wanted to share one small anecdote from a very famous、uh, literary critic. His name was Walter Raleigh. Walter Raleigh, he made an assessment of the best literature of the world, and he is known for his、uh, literary criticism. He was a great evaluator of Shakespearean works. This particular person once said. The most ancient passion of humanity is curiosity. We all have curiosity, and that's the reason we love to listen to stories. We love to read newspapers. We love to read books. We love to read people from different culture, different environment, different places, different countries. So this particular story is in a French setting, and here are two people, one young lady and one young man. The story is all about how they fell in love with each other. Now, in order to say much more, just let me narrate the story to you, and I think you will love the story. Here we go. Forbidden fruit. Before marriage, they had loved each other. Chastely in the starlight, at first it was a charming meeting on the seashore. He found a delicious, the rosy young girl who passed him with her bright umbrellas and fresh costumes on the marine ground. He loved this blonde, fragile creature in a setting of blue waves and immense skies, and he confounded the tenderness. Which this scarcely fledged woman caused to be born in him, with a vague and a powerful emotion awakened in his soul, in his heart and in his veins by the lovely salt air, with a great seascape full of sun and waves. She loved him because he paid her attention, because he was young and rich enough, gentle and delicate. She loved him because. It is natural for young ladies to love young men, who say tender words to them. Then for three months they lived side by side, eye to eye, hand to hand. The greeting which they exchanged in the morning before the bath, in the freshness of the new day, and the audio of the evening upon the sand, under the stars, in the warmth of the calm night. Murmured low and still lower, had already the taste of kisses, although their lips had never met. They dreamed of each other as soon as they were asleep, thought of each other as soon as they were awoke, and without yet saying so, called for and desired each other with their whole soul and body. 
of a marriage they adored each other above everything on earth. It was at the first kind of sensual, deemed fatigable, and then an exalted tenderness made of palpable poesy of carelessness, already refined and of inventions both gentle and ungentle. All your looks signify something impure, and all their gestures recall to them the ardent intimacy of the night. Now, without confessing, without realizing it, perhaps they commence to weary of one another. They loved each other, it is true, but there was nothing more to reveal, nothing more to do that had not been done. Nothing more to learn from each other, not even a new word of love, an unforced emotion or an intonation, which sometimes is more expressive than a known word too often repeated. They forced themselves, however, to relight the flame and fibbled from the fast embraces. They invented some new and tender artifice each day, some simple or complicated ruse, in a vain attempt to renew in their hearts the unappeasable ardor of the false days and in their veins the flame of the nuptial mount. From time to time, by dint of whipping their desire, they again found an hour of factitious excitement, which was immediately followed by disgusting lassitude. They tried moonlight walks under the leaves in the sweetness of the night, the poesy of the cliffs bathed in the mist, the excitement of public festivals. Then one morning, Arietta said to Paul, Will you take me to dine at an inn? Why, yes, Terry. In a very well-known inn? Yes. He looked at her, questioning with his eye, understanding well that she had something in mind which she had not spoken. She continued, You know an inn? How shall I explain it? In a gallant inn where people make appointments to meet each other? He smiled. Yes, I understand a private room in a large cafe. That is it. But in a large cafe where you are known, where you have already taken supper, no dinner. That is what I mean, I want to. I do not dare say it. Speak out, cheery. Between us, what can it matter? We are not like those who have little secrets from each other. No, I dare not. Oh, come now, don't be so innocent, say it. Well, well, I wish I wish to be taken for your mistress and had the waiters who do not know that you are married may look upon me as your mistress and you too for an hour. You'd believe me your mistress in that very place where you have remembrances of, that's all. And I myself will believe that I am your mistress. I want to commit a great sin to deceive you. with yourself. There, it is very bad, but that is what I want to do. Do not take me, and do not make me blush. I feel that I am blushing. Imagine my wanting to take the trouble to dwell with you in a place 
not quite a thing, in a private room where people devote themselves to love everything, evening, every evening. It is very bad. I'm as red as a peony. Don't look at me. He laughed. Very much amused and responded. Yes, we'll go this evening to a very chic place where I am known. Toward seven o'clock, they mounted the staircase of a large cafe on the boulevard. He smiling with the air of conqueror, she timidly wailed, but delighted. And when they were in a little room furnished with four armchairs and a large sofa covered with red velvet, the steward in the black clothes entered and present for the bill of fare, Pell passed it to his wife. What do you wish to eat? He said. I don't know. What do they have that is good here? Then you read all the lists of dishes while taking off his coat, which he handed to the waiter and said, "Serve this menu: bisque soup, devil chicken, size of hare, tuck, American style, vegetable salad, and dessert. We will drink champagne." The steward smiled and looked at the young lady. He took the card, murmuring, "Will Monsieur Paul have a cordial or some champagne?" "Champagne, very dry." Anyway, I was happy to find that this man knew her husband's name. They sat down side by side upon the sofa and began to eat. Ten candles lighted the room, reflected in a great mirror, mutilated. By the thousands of names traced on it, with a diamond making on the clear crystal a kind of a huge cover. Ariella drank glass after glass to animate her. Although she felt giddy from the first one, Paul, excited by sudden memories, kissed his wife's hand repeatedly. Her eyes were brilliant. She felt strangely moved by the suspicious situation. She was excited and happy, although she felt a little defiled. Two grave waiters, mute, accustomed to seeing everything and forgetting all, entered only when it was necessary, and went out in the moments of overflow, going and coming quickly and softly. Toward the end of the dinner, Ariella was tipsy. Completely tipsy, and Paul, in his gaiety, pressed her knee with all his words. She prattled now, boldly, her cheeks red, her look lively and easy. Oh, come, Paul! She said, "Confess now, won't you? I want to know all." What do you mean, cheering? I dare not say it, but you must always. Have you had mistresses, many of them before me? He hesitated, a little perplexed, not knowing whether he ought to conceal his good fortunes or boast of them. She continued, "Oh, I beg you to tell me, have you had many? Why, some? How many? I don't know." How can one know such things? You cannot count them. Why, no. Oh, then you have had very many. Oh yes. How many? 
do you suppose? Somewhere near? I don't know at all, my dear. Some ears I have many and some only a few. How many a year should you say? Sometimes twenty or thirty, sometimes four or five only. Oh, uh, that makes more than a hundred women in all. Yes, somewhere near. Oh, how disgusting. Why disgusting? Because it is disgusting when one thinks of all those women bare and always, always the same thing. Oh, uh, it is disgusting. I'll say more than a hundred women. He was shocked that she thought it disgusting and responded with that superior air which men assume to make women understand that they have said something foolish. Well, that is curious. If it is disgusting to have a hundred women, it is equally disgusting to have one. Oh no, not at all. Why not? Because with one woman there is intrigue, there is love that attaches you to her. While with hundred women there is filthiness, misconduct, I cannot understand how a man can meddle with all those girls who are so foul. No, they are very neat. One cannot be neat. Carry on a trade like that. On the contrary, it is because of the trade they are so neat. Shh! When one thinks of the nights they pass with others, it is ignoble. It is no more ignoble than drinking from a glass which I know not who drank this morning and that has been less thoroughly washed. You may be certain of it. Oh, be still. You are revolting. But why ask me then if I had mistresses? Then tell me, were your mistresses all girls, all of them, the whole hundred? Why, no, no, some were actresses, some little working girls and some women of the world. How many of them were women of the world? Six. Only six? Yes. Were they pretty? Yes, of course. Prettier than girls? No. Which do you prefer, girls or mistress of the world? Women of the world. Oh, how faulty. Why? Because I do not care much for a mutual talent. Oh, horror. You're abominable. Do you know it? But tell me, is it very amusing to pass from one to another like that? Yes, rather. Very, very. What is there amusing about it? Is it because other? They do not. Ah, women do not resemble each other? Not at all. In nothing? In nothing. That is strange. In what respect do they differ? In every respect. In body? Yes, in body. And in the whole body? Yes, in the whole body. And in once. Why? The manner of embracing, of speaking, of saying the least thing? Ah, and it is very amusing. It is changing, yes. And are men different too? That I do not know. You do not know? No, they must be different. Yes, without a doubt. She remained pensive, her glass of champagne in her hand, it was full, and she drank it at a trot. Then placing the glass upon the table, she threw both her arms around her husband's neck and murmured in his mouth, 
Oh my dear, how I love you, he seized in a passionate embrace. Evader was entering through back, closing the door, and the service was interrupted for five minutes. When the steward began to appear again with a grave, dignified air, bringing in the fruits for the desert, she was holding another glassful between her fingers and looking to the bottom of the yellow transparent liquid as if to see there are things unknown and dreamed of, she murmured with a thoughtful voice, Oh yes, it must be very amusing all the same. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you have loved the story. So if you have any comments to make, please don't hesitate sending your comments. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful time.